Hey, Nick. Hey, Jeff. What's going on? I'm getting ready to light up a bishop. I just had myself a gator. Are you guys tired of hearing us say this? We're sick and tired of playing this. We are. And why don't we record it? We just keep doing it live every I time. I don't know. You guys just need to go over to martinascigars.com and pick up some bishops and gators. Yeah. Make us happy. Yeah. We'll stop playing this if you guys yeah. just buy our cigars. Tell you what, we'll make you a deal. What's that? If they go and buy the bishop and gator, we're going to do this podcast for free for them. There we go. Go buy bishops and gators. Hey, this is Michael Herklotz. You are listening to the Cigar Pulpit podcast what an awful name cigar pulpit pulpit cigar cigar pulpit pod guys really sounds like the cigar armpit at i don't know i don't know guys anyway you're listening to a podcast you're probably on your toilet right now and uh nothing better to do so i hope you enjoy it ciao Hello, everybody, and welcome to another sermon from the Cigar Pulpit. I'm the Bishop of the Burn, Nick, and with me, as always... It's Gator. And on the line, we have Michael Herklotz. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you, fellas? Fantastic. So we're going to be talking to Michael all about his career, his time with Nat Sherman, um, and kind of what the future may potentially hold. I don't know if we're going to get that information out of him, but we'll... uh, We'll we'll give it our best effort here, but we're gonna try our darndest. We're gonna try. So, (laughs) but today we are gonna be lighting up the Nat Sherman Timeless Supreme. It's the uh, what seven forty nine. So, can you tell us a little bit about the cigar, Michael? I don't know anything about it. Ah. Of course, I can. Um, So, Timeless Supreme. First of all, um, it it was at one time just referred to as. Uh, Timeless Nicaragua, but in 2018, as part of our rebrand work, we decided to give it a, a bit more of an identity uh, and and rebranded it as Timeless Supreme. It's a beautiful box press cigar, Nicaraguan Puro, and it was the second blend that I worked on for Nat Sherman, starting first with the Timeless, what was then the, the uh, Timeless Dominican, now Timeless Prestige, um, and then we did the Timeless Nicaragua, which is now Timeless Supreme. And what is really special about that cigar, um, of course, it's a Nicaraguan Puro, um, but more interestingly, there's no Lijero in that blend. And if you think about when that blend was released in 2012, that really was a time in the industry where the the face-melting Lijero heavy, you know, make your feet sweat uh, kind of cigars were really all the rage. In addition, of course, to the to the acceleration of um, Nicaragua and Nicaraguan Puros. But when we did that cigar, we 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 very intentionally did not want to just follow trend, but rather um, in keeping with our philosophy always is to try and find holes and gaps and bring something more unique to market. And so Realizing that there was this big push for Nicaraguan puros um, and that flavor, we also recognized the gap um, of elegance in that experience. And so the uh, Timeless Supreme was really meant to um, bring back some elegance and grace to the Nicaraguan puro um, experience. So the format you have, the 749, is um, a Churchill for all intents and purposes. Um, box pressed and anytime you box press a cigar, it tends to feel a little thinner than it actually is. Um, so that 49 
box pressed really is a nice, elegant Churchill size. No, and and you're right. It does feel a little little smaller than a 49 ring gauge, but I guess that does make sense. So. I'm a big fan of the box press. Nick, not so much. So we're gonna... yeah. I just kind of for me, it's a mouthfeel thing. But I don't know. It, it's a it's all a personal thing. I enjoy box press, particularly in larger ring gauges, because I don't really like larger ring gauges. So exactly. I find box box press above a 50. I tend to like. A lot more than round above a 50. Um, box pressed below a 50, uh, it really depends on on how it's pressed for me. Uh, I think generally I smoke more round than box, um, but I do like a nice box pressed, and I think that, especially that 749, is just a, it's a great, great format. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and cut the cigar, and the official cutting is brought to you by Riverman Cigar Company of Crestwood, Missouri. Our man Dan over there at Riverman, he's he's putting up with a lot. Um, the lounge is now closed again uh, due to, uh, by order of St. Louis County, um, I guess um, it's, a, it's a certain percentage of people that can be back there, and by the time he kind of figured out his percentage, he figured, you know, we'll just go ahead and, and close it because I think he might be able to have like two people back yeah. there or something. So anyway. It's a crazy so time. It is a crazy time. So, guys, we're asking you to support uh, Riverman and all the other brick and mortars by uh, giving Dan a call. He's got a great selection in his humidor. Lots of cigars that you can uh, choose from, and he does do mail order, so if you don't have a brick-and-mortar in your area and you feel like supporting a brick-and-mortar, give Dan over at Riverman Cigar Company a call, and he will get a box sent out to you right away. So that's Riverman Cigar Company of Crestwood, Missouri. I need to get mine out of the cellophane. Of course you do. Really? Always a good first step. Yeah. (laughs) Except he likes to draw this out and make a just... Horribly annoying. It's really packed in. Show of it. It's really not. Sound like an old lady in church (laughs) trying to get her cough drop out. (laughs) Are you done? Got it. Thank you. All right. Well, with that, it's time that we go ahead and cut the cigar. So I have my V cut because I like to do that. There you go. You're going to go with the V or the straight? I'm doing a straight cut today. Okay. Yep. Now, this ought to be interesting because I will freely admit that in my poor planning of rushing over here and making sure that I was on the Zoom call uh, on time and everything, I I grabbed a quick smoothie for lunch. And so I'm hoping the uh, cold draw doesn't taste like strawberry pineapple, <laughs> but it's very possible. This is... This is the flaw. We, we, we call that complexity, my man. He, here's yes. the thing, Michael. I, I just want to point this out. If you're coming on here expecting any sort of like expertise, you're way on the yeah, wrong show. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is two guys Perfect. with microphones that just like to smoke cigars and talk about them and learn. So it's my favorite kind of guys. Okay, good. There we go. We're we're, not, in, we're in your wheelhouse. We're not going to be pretentious about you know. Well, Nick will, but I'm not. And it makes me sound way more convincing, which is terrific. <laughs> there you go. So, all right. Well, Jeff, cold draw thoughts. I had a piece of pecan pie this morning for breakfast, so I'm probably not. So you're blown too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is great planning on both of our parts. Can I? Here. Can I? Can I offer you um, one little piece of advice? Sure. Please. The cold draw, which is pulling through the cigar, obviously without it being lit, 
mm-hmm. is really, despite some reviewers spending paragraphs um, talking about the merit of the cold draw, I can tell you that in general, we don't care. Um, <laughs> but more importantly, the value of the cold draw is to identify flaws that are hidden when you light it up. The, the thing that you really want to pay attention to on the cold draw is identifying flaws. And the most common would be um, mustiness or uh, a mildew-type flavor. Which, which Those we have would gotten indi- before. Yeah. So that is typically an indication um, of somewhere in the process poor storage. Um, of course, there are, there are some cigars that, that tend to have um, that sort of mustiness very consistently. Um, every time you smoke one, you get that, that flavor. Um, so it's tough to determine whether that's intentional or not. I can tell you from my perspective, mustiness and mildew is not favorable. So, um, that's something that, that I look for to make sure it's not there as opposed to making sure it's always there. Um, but mustiness and mildew, um, is probably the most important. The other thing that you can get in a cold draw is um, ammonia. And ammonia is difficult to detect once it's burning, uh, although easier than mustiness or mildew. Uh, but ammonia present would be an indication that the tobacco was not fermented entirely. Um, so anyway, on, on the cold draw, if you get a little strawberry from your smoothie and you get a little pecan from your breakfast, um, no problem. But more importantly, make sure you are not getting no uh, mustiness, mildew, ammonia, or any other type of um, flaw-like flavor. Now, before we light up, we have a thing that we like to do. Well, okay, I like to do You it. like to do it. I think the yeah. cold retro hail, which is just even ridiculous. Absolutely. It, it works. I, uh, I don't know it's why. It's the same... So I also recommend um, when you smell the cigar before you light it, you smell through um, the the foot and do not be afraid to go right up foot to nostril, which I know sounds disgusting on a podcast, which is why you might want to consider adding some video support to this thing because foot foot to nostril before lighting up a cigar could really be taken out of context. Now don't, but do not do that in the, uh, you know, cigar shop when you're just, you know, looking through the humidor. Avoid that. Only after paid. Exactly. You must pay for the cigar before you place it on your nostril, especially (laughs) post COVID. But that, that also is, is, um, as important to me as a as the uh, as the cold draw, and to your point, the cold retro is is a very important process. See, Nick, told you. All right, all right. <laughs> so, do your cold retro then. I'm still looking in my Venmo, and I don't have the ten dollars for saying that on the record. <laughs> it's 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 processing nicely, right? Right as we speak. <laughs> if you're waiting for money from Jeff, you're going to be waiting. Yeah, I was going to say, get get line. Yeah. I'm in the cigar business. I'm used to waiting for money for people. That's a valid point. (laughs) And again, like I said, I think I've kind of blown out my senses today. Okay. Yeah. The pecan pie was really good, though. All right. Breakfast of champions. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead. But you know what? I'll I'll tell you something while you guys fire up. I was going to say, I'm going to light up. The the idea of um, a palate somehow being damaged or worn out by tasting something else prior to tasting this or like smoking too many cigars and saying, oh, my palate is worn out. I, I think our palates are, are 
conditioned really to to taste a lot of different things and it's just kind of understanding what your what your baseline is going in so like the idea of a clean palate for me is 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 ridiculous like i don't know what a clean palate is is that is that minty fresh is that morning breath is that i mean like what's what's the fresh no, palate that's a valid point because yep. you're right i mean you 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 either have morning breath going on but then if you brush your teeth now you're dealing with toothpaste and then if you wait a little while now you're dealing with just like middle of the day funk mouth kind of thing yep. so it's like what what exactly is yeah i usually so like my, my rule of thumb oh, is I coffee say, I, I usually like to go a week or so you know with mm, a complete solid baseline exactly yeah what? nothing yeah <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, I brush my teeth every Saturday, whether it needs it or not. Okay, so your rule of thumb is coffee. <laughs> well, what I like about coffee is um, it's – I tend to drink the same type of coffee. I tend to drink it the same way. And so with that being my baseline, it gives me the same sort of apples-to-apples apples comparison as I'm either tasting day-to-day, week-to-week, you know, whatever. Yeah. I like of course, that. my baseline's also scotch, bourbon, wine. You know, <laughs> scotchy scotch doesn't really matter. Well, yeah, I, I'm actually a big coffee drinker. Now, Nick finally found a coffee he liked when we were down in Tampa recently. Yeah, but I have to like load it up with all sorts of milk and sugar. Apparently, you know. But you liked it. I did. So I did. Yeah. So even went back and got a second cup. That was not the same thing. No, and it was not. It so. was not. So anyway, this this cigar's got a little oomph to it. It does. It has yeah. a little bit of strength to this guy. Yeah. I did the I did a retro hail and it's peppery out of the gate. With with this line, we go from a forty six ring gauge to a sixty ring gauge. Um the forty six, the forty nine that you're smoking certainly has a bit more concentration um than the fifty six and the sixty. So it, it would make sense that you're experiencing a little bit more um Ferocity is probably the wrong word, but a little bit more strength and presence in the 7 by 49 versus what you might get in the 6 by 60 Yeah, I mean, and to your point from earlier, you're right. It's not one that, that right out of the gate, it's like, you know, kicking me in the balls and slitting my throat. But you can definitely say, I'm, I'm smoking. It's cupping cigar. them. It's, yeah. much, it's much more <laughs> cupping them as opposed to kicking them. Which is much preferred. Much, much preferred. preferred, yes. So, anyway. So Michael, I mean, if it's one or the other, I mean, obviously. Well, exactly. So, Michael, you've been in the cigar business for you know twenty one years. That that's first of all, I mean, it's it's impressive that somebody has in this day and age has actually been in a career, you know, that long without it being some sort of a like, for lack of a better term, like a profession, like a like a doctor, lawyer, you know, something that very specific like that. And so. Um, I guess my first question is, how did you encounter cigars? And then in turn, how did you get into the business? Well, I'm a, I went to music school in Boston, Berkeley College of Music. I never smoked in my life uh, prior. I had two roommates in college uh, my first year. And one of them, it turned out, um, enjoyed cigars um, in high school. So every day we would take a different walk through, through the city of Boston, just kind of exploring. And one day we walked past a cigar bar. And uh, usually it was in the evenings, and my roommate said, his name is Chris Brown, who listens to a lot of these things, so he might be listening. Okay. Um, 
he uh, he said, hey, let's go in and smoke a cigar. I said, you know, you're crazy, and you know, I don't smoke. This is it's a ridiculous idea. But he wanted to do it. He went in, and I was not going to be standing out in the cold by myself. So I went in behind him, and it was a it was a transformational moment for me. I mean, walking through those doors, you know, it was lots of wood and brown leather and jazz and cigar smoke and brown spirits and fancy glasses. And I was like, man, this is. I've never seen anything like this. This is a completely different world. And uh, so we went into the walk-in humidor and I, I can actually remember as we walked past the bar towards the walk-in humidor, there was a guy standing there who looked a little older than me. Um, and he had on a suit. It was the, it was 1999. So time and place. He had an olive green suit, olive green turtleneck. I mean, he looked like he just looked the part. And next to him was a stack of CDs um, that had his picture on it. So I got to talking with him, and he was a student at Berkeley about to graduate. It just kind of telling me about just how the cigar world and the jazz world kind of, um, you know, go hand in hand, which I was a jazz drummer, so I thought that was awesome. Anyway, we went in the humidor. Uh, my buddy Chris picked out an Ashton Classic Panatella, which is a very sort of long, thin, uh, mild cigar. And we sat down, we each got a coffee. It was $3.50. I remember that being the most expensive cup of coffee I'd ever bought in my <laughs> life. And, uh, and just sitting down, Chris said, do you want to try it? I said, no. He said, I really think you should. He explained to, to me that it's, you know, it's a puff. You're not inhaling. Um, also being asthmatic my whole life, that was uh, a bit of a scary moment. But I figured, hey, what the hell? And I took a puff and I survived and it was interesting. It was a flavor I had never experienced before, obviously in a medium I had never experienced before. And I thought, wow, this is really, um, this is really cool. So then we started enjoying cigars, you know, maybe every other week or so. We really, I, I certainly couldn't afford it, um, which then was the sort of precipice to finding a way to afford it. And really at that time, the only way to do that was to find a job selling cigars. So there was a little kiosk in the Prudential Center Mall that sold cigars. And it turns out another guy that lived on my floor in the dorms was graduating and he worked at that cart. Uh, and so I said, his name was Phil. And I said, Phil, I know you're graduating. You have to introduce me to the owner. Like this is the perfect kind of day job for me. I was going to school through summers. I wanted to graduate early. So I had to move off campus. So I needed a job anyway. And uh, one thing led to another and I ended up getting that job. And then just a couple months into it, um, the owner of that cart, I mean, now we're right at the sort of tail, um, sort of that, that tipping point of the cigar boom where it went pretty rapidly from the top nosediving, <laughs> yeah. which I like to say that I probably caused that when I joined the industry. <laughs> um, but the owner of the kiosk sold it um, and the new owner basically came in and said, you know, I don't have time to, uh, to run this business. So I'm going to need you to do it. And I said, I don't know anything about running a business. I mean, you know, I'm 19 going to school full time and I just wanted a job to learn and do my homework at the same time. And he said, uh, that he wasn't really interested in my excuses and just to figure it out. And that was it. So I hired a bunch of my friends and, uh, we ran that through 2000, 2001, I guess. And then um, we closed that to open up a, a more proper store outside of the city. 
And I was at a point where I was playing quite a bit of music and um, certainly was not going to commute to my day job. Uh, so I left really focused on music. And then there was another store in town called Gloucester Street Cigar Company um, that I used to go to just as a customer. And they ended up having an opening and needed some help. And so I ended up working at Gloucester Street for probably a year or so until I moved to New York City. And it was always my plan to move to New York City. Um, so I moved in, two, in May of 2002 and uh, got a job as a sales associate at the Davidoff store on Madison Avenue. I knew the general manager of that store from Boston, and he had been there since 2000. So I had visited him as I when I visited New York, and um, so ultimately I got that job. And I was sales um, and doing events and all kinds of things, basically through 06. 2006, Davidoff bought a second store on the west side uh, of Manhattan in the Time Warner building, and they offered me the general manager position there. So I took the general manager position at Columbus Circle uh, for two years, and then David Kitchens, who was running the Madison Avenue store, left um, to go to Holtz. And so uh, Davidoff offered to create a new position, basically, to put me in charge of both stores. And so I ran both stores up until 2011, which is when I uh, left to join Nat Sherman. There's a lot there to unpack. But uh, so going back to the kiosk there, when you're when you're told, you know, hey, just just run this. You're 19. What what lessons did you kind of like stumble your way into during that? Like if, if there's some takeaways from that time as a young man running this cigar kiosk, you know, what, what kind of takeaways did you have from that? Well, I mean, let's face it, it running a little kiosk in a shopping mall is not running, uh, you know, a major company. Um, so there were basic things like just understanding a little bit of the early kind of, um, you know, uh, margin and profit and, uh, payroll scheduling, um, you know, there's certainly no, we, no one was doing any spreadsheets and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, but just sort of those fundamentals. I mean, I always worked. So I, I can remember being a kid, just being so excited to be able to get a job. And so I've always enjoyed working and I've, I have a pretty, pretty high work ethic. So, um, you know, in any job I had, I always kind of, uh, naturally wanted to grab the bull by the horns and do more. Um, so I think those were some of the early learning curves. The other thing was, you know, um, especially being 19, um, and in this center, which was a, a, a corporate office as well. I mean, the, the, uh, Prudential center tower, um, is a, is a huge office tower. And so as you can imagine, we had a pretty high end clientele that would be coming in and out every day, um, you know, being a 19 year old pimply faced kid, um, you know, it was certainly difficult to be taken seriously. Um, and you know, the, the mistake, I think a lot of either, whether it's young people or young in the business is this need to try and convince someone that you're an expert. Um, I think those are probably, probably mistakes I made early on that I, I learned over time, you actually don't need to do that. You're probably better off 
being humble and being honest and saying, you know, this is what I do know. This is what I don't know. Um, and then also, you know, the, the, the level of showmanship that goes into selling that, um, you know, you need to have a, a dynamic personality. You need to engage with people and, and talk about things that may be unrelated to the product just to, just to connect with them. So remembering people's favorite sports teams or kids' names or things like that would, would help connect with a customer that would help bring them back to, uh, to buy more. I guess those are some of the early ones. Well, so then obviously one of the things that you kind of talked about uh, just a bit ago was was when you throw yourself into a job, you kind of grab the bull by the horns and, and really go for it. And you were definitely offered that opportunity when you joined Nat Sherman in 2011. Big time. Yeah. So not only did you come in and start working at the store, the townhouse, correct? But you also started working with the blends and, and with the line. Yes. So the, um, I'll, I'll, I'll make this the short version. If you want the long version, you can watch my three hour interview with cigar. Coop. <laughs> um, but basically the, the Sherman family who I'd known for many years was looking for someone to run the store initially. Um, and I did not think that was the right fit for me, but as we sort of continued to talk about, sort of the needs of the business, it was clear that it, it wasn't just the store that kind of needed um, redirection, that it was really the, the larger cigar business in its, in its totality. Um, we had had a very successful cigarette business for decades, um, but in fact, the cigars came first. Cigars were 1930. Cigarettes didn't show up until 1950s. Um, and if you looked at the store, the store was was very much um, a premium cigar, premium tobacconist experience. But really, it was um, it was cigarettes that was kind of driving the bus. Um, so, yeah, we we really we set out a very early plan to um, while sort of adding some polish and changing some philosophy in the store to also then really spend a lot of time revamping um the cigar business so we discontinued a lot of blends and then started from scratch with the first timeless collection uh, and then every year we we added thoughtful product we added people as necessary to build the wholesale side of the business um and we did anything we could to grow the business um safely and very intentionally but also very authentically so you know at the end of the day Nat Sherman is not a, or was not a five generation, uh, you know, Latin American story. It's the story. It's an American story. Um, and you know, New York city has, um, you know, a lot of polish and, and fanciness. It also has a lot of down and dirty grit and secrets. And, uh, that very much was the story of Nat Sherman. So, you know, we were very, thoughtful about how we told the story to make sure that that rather than trying to create these um you know fancy marketing um tales that really we just looked back into our own history book and tried to tell our story better than maybe we did in the past and do things that were more illustrative um rather than a gimmick you know things like for example my my favorite example 
the the store was never called the townhouse until 2011. We moved there in 2007, but um, by calling it the townhouse, it immediately created an image in people's minds that was uh, identifiably different and unique than if I said the Nat Sherman store. If I, if we say the Nat Sherman store, you probably think of the store that you shop in and imagine Nat Sherman on the front. When we say a Nat Sherman townhouse, that immediately um, scaled up the the perception of what that was. And then by default, we then had to scale up what that experience was in service, in um, range of products, uh, and in the level of experience. Well, and by calling it the townhouse, it also added this like kind of level of level of gravitas to it that made it almost like its own destination versus when An you say experience. Yeah, whereas when you say a shop, it's you know there's there's uh, it, it it could be one of a, a chain or something like that. Whereas this, it's like the crown jewel kind of thing. But also, no one said it before us. Yeah. So the moment we said it, there was only one, and when you are only one of one. That is a um, a nice stake to be able to claim. Now, one of the uh, areas that I wanted to briefly touch on with you. So when you were working on um, kind of revitalizing the line of cigars, I read that you had uh, worked with the Casada family. And Jeff and I we were fortunate enough to meet Manuel Casada at an event in uh, Weston, Missouri, Back in 2019, he uh, came out for a for an event, and through the stars aligning in the universe and whatever else, we ended up on the back deck of uh, a friend of ours, Corey Frisbee. We ended up on Corey's back deck <laughs> um, with Manuel and Oscar Valadares sitting there just talking about cigars and life and everything else. And we, it was we totally scammed our way into that. It was the best night yeah. ever. It was great. It's the best way to do it. Yeah. He is um you know, there are a lot of iconic people in our industry. Um I don't think there is one who is more loved and respected than Manolo Casada. Um I've never heard anyone say anything negative about him ever and i've known him you know now almost half i guess half my life um i also scammed my way into his life and uh david kitchens who used to run davidoff was quite close with him in fact his daughter manolo's daughter raquel his oldest daughter um would go uh, went to school in boston and worked at Gloucester Street when David ran Gloucester Street. And so he had a, a, a very close relationship with the Casadas because of that relationship. And he would go down to Dominican pretty often, uh, usually once a year, and just take a little vacation, spend time in the factory, see the country. And so he invited me to go with him, I guess in 2003 or 2004. Prior to that, um, when I joined Davidoff, certainly Manolo would come to New York and come to Davidoff and we'd do events. So I was friendly with him. Um, but then that first trip to Dominican, I became uh, friendly, not just with him, but also his family and his daughters. Um, and obviously I'm much closer in age to his daughters than I am to Manolo. So even though Manolo and I were 
um, very close. I also became very close um, with the young ones, as Manolo refers to that generation. And uh, and so we spent a tremendous amount of time together over the years. Um, now, it's it was interesting that the Sherman family was already working with the Casadas since the 90s. And Manolo was very friendly with the Shermans and, uh, and vice versa. And of course I with Manolo, uh, and I was familiar with the Shermans, but I, I would not say I was close with them. Uh, but when it came time to really hit the ground running on product, um, when I suggested that we really go all in with Casada, um, you know, the Shermans were in violent agreement because of their history. And then it was it. I mean, I went, Prior to Nat Sherman, at that time, I was probably going to Dominican maybe twice a year just to go down and hang out, maybe three times a year. Uh, but starting in 2011, I was down there probably every six weeks um, for nine years. Wow. wow. Very cool. Yeah. So you're with Nat Sherman. And how long was it before you received word that um, Nat Sherman had been sold? So as a member of the executive team, I got brought in prior to the transaction because there was obviously a lot of transition work that needed to be done. Um, so the transaction was January 17th of 2017. And I was brought in somewhere like late October, November, something like that of 2016. So I was obviously, I mean, I was surprised to learn the news Um but I certainly I was not surprised when the announcement was made because I had already been at the table by that point. Gotcha. So what sort of challenges and differences did that present to you in your position? Well, the the challenges were some of them were actually very similar. I mean, there there is a lot of adjacent compliance risk when you are in the cigarette business and then any other business. And the Shermans were obviously very successful in the cigarette business. So even um, if I compared Nat Sherman to Davidoff when I made that switch, there were things that were sort of um, standard in the cigar industry that I was familiar with that we could not do with Nat Sherman because of some of the associated risk with being in the cigarette business. Um, So a lot of that risk um, I already had a pretty good understanding of, as you can imagine, Nat Sherman's ownership versus Altria's ownership is a much, Altria is a much uh, bigger company um, and therefore has a much bigger risk potential. Um, but I was pretty prepared for that. And um, honestly, the, the, the leadership at Altria was, was incredibly gracious um, and humble to say, we don't know anything about the premium cigar business. Um, so we will do our best not to get in your way. Here are all the people you need to know. These are the, your resource support. This is your, excuse me, your, uh, your compliance support. This is your regulatory support. This is your law support. Um, and please keep us posted and we'll continue to learn and, and, you know, we'll just do it together. But, you know, even, um, the growth and development that we did under Altria, um, none of that was done by a directive from them. All of that was done as it was done before. It was our ideas. Um, we made a business case and we got support. So it was, it was a, you know, I mean, look, it was an interesting time 
we, there was a lot of things we could not do. For example, the, the day, um, the acquisition happened, all of our social media went dark. Our websites went dark. Um, even interviews like this were very few and far between for me to be able to participate in. Um, but they also recognized that those were, um, those were unfair challenges. And so they did the the best they could to try and help us find solutions and workarounds and for them to get more comfortable with us being able to do things. So, you know, it was a, it was certainly challenging, but it was still a lot of fun. And I mean, you know, the, the, the ability to work with a fortune 100 fortune 200 company, um, man, there is a lot to learn. Um, and a lot you can learn when you're in an organization like that. Uh, and so I really, I had a great time. So then obviously that brings us up to the news from 2019 that Nat Sherman was being, uh, put out for sale as a brand. And I guess what were your thoughts at that point? And then I, you know, ultimately we all kind of know where that, where that ended up, uh, this year, um, how do you feel COVID kind of impacted that, that sale situation? So let me make sure that we clarify. Nat Sherman was not for sale. What Nat the, Sherman was a cigarette yes, and still is a cigarette. So the brand Nat Sherman was never for sale. The Nat Sherman International, which is the non-cigarette business of Nat Sherman, uh-huh. um, was for sale. So that is Timeless, Metropolitan, Epoca, uh, and Cora, which is our accessories business, our wholesale team, the townhouse, that is what was for sale. So it was never the Nat Sherman brand. It was Nat Sherman International, the business, and the brands that were sold uh, by Nat Sherman International. Um, again, you know, I was part of the process prior to the announcement. Um, and, you know, honestly, it was very generous of them to even consider selling us. Um, you know, they really, it was not the outcome, um, that they wanted to have to, um, divest that piece of the business, but that just is the way things ultimately went. And after making a decision saying, okay, we are no longer going to be in the retail business or the cigar business. Most companies would have shut it down, closed and shut down. They didn't do that. They gave us plenty of time and plenty of resources to explore, um, landing the business with new owners, which again, I just think is, is profoundly generous and, and way more complex and difficult than it would have been just to close. But, you know, I think that's further evidence that they really had a lot of admiration and respect for our business and our people. And they, they wanted to see it live on. They felt it, that it was, um, uh, the right thing to do. So, uh, we did, uh, meet with a lot of interesting um, potential buyers. And um, that was from the fall all the way into the spring, really. Um, and by March, February, um, we had it narrowed down to, um, you know, really our priority buyers. And by March, we were at the table with the uh, preferred buyer. And things, things were moving quickly. It was going to be a, a great deal, a great opportunity. COVID was just kind of starting. It had made it to the U.S., but mostly just in California. Um, 
as as we know now, it was more places than that, of course. But mm-hmm. um, following the the sort of timeline of how things unfolded, as you recall, it was mostly Seattle and California where it began. So it had it was there at that point, and uh, we all met in person. We had our final diligence lists um, to go back and do, and when we regrouped. Um, it had spread pretty quickly and we pumped the brakes. They, the buyers pumped the brakes. Um, but you know, that also would have been a, the perfect opportunity for Altria to say, all right, listen, this is not the time to sell a business, you know, let's face it and, uh, and wrap it up. They didn't do that. They said, okay, get creative and take, take more time. If you need time, let's turn every, every rock over. And we did. And so we really right through, um, the summer, we were engaged with lots of different buyers thinking very differently about how the transaction could work. Um, ultimately our last two, um, deals were just getting too complicated. And that was, uh, that was in July. And we finally just at that point made the, made the tough decision to say, you know, we need the time to shut this business if we're going to shut it and the clock is ticking. So we just made that, that final decision, unfortunately. I have to say, throughout the whole closure time period, after it was announced that, you know, that was that and it was going to close and everything like that, you, uh, I, you know, I followed you on social media and everything, and you were incredibly gracious and professional throughout that entire situation. And that couldn't have been easy. Well, no one wants to watch videos of me crying in my breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I do, but that's yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's kind, of, kind of speaks yeah. to who I am at my core. Uh, you know, we had a ninety-year legacy, ninety-year history of doing things the right way. Um, we've always run the business um, with a level of of class and elegance. And graciousness, and at the at the end of the day, we look at the decision that was made to close the business, and it was purely a business decision. It wasn't it wasn't based on financials. It wasn't based on the success of the business. It wasn't based on the quality of the products or the people. It was it was purely one of those just its business, and and it it's you know way above uh, the 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 pay grade of of any of us. Um, to make a decision like that ultimately. And so, you know, when, when you think of all the people and all the generations of, of folks who came before me, um, and especially those who came with me and after me, um, there was, there just was, was no, uh, reason to go out with any less grace and dignity than we had to build the company in the first place. Um, and, you know, I also, I recognize I, I did it a bit more publicly than, uh, perhaps would be done conventionally. Um, but I also, you know, if, if I look at the reason why our company was as successful as it was for so long, it certainly was not because of me, nor was it because of our sales team or the store people or it was because of our customers and our partners and our retail support and, you know, consumers who all love the brand like we did as employees. Um, and, and so I felt like it was kind of appropriate to 
to allow folks to be able to experience it, especially since so many people were not going to have the ability to engage with the brand again in a personal way. Um, you know, in, in a perfect world, we would have had parties and events. I mean, I would have done a farewell tour yeah. and, you know, we, we would have gone out with a bang and we couldn't even do that. Um, and you know, like, like so many COVID deaths and I, I, I believe this is going down as one, you know, a lot of it's, it's been very difficult to mourn loss these last eight months because you haven't been able to gather with people. You haven't been able to, you know, celebrate and honor people. You're just stuck at home. Um, and so I really thought it was important to try and bring as much access to people, um, as, as possible throughout the process. And I'll tell you, it was also incredible. It was incredibly helpful for me too. It was therapeutic to, to get that kind of support. And for my team, you know, I heard it all the time. Anytime I'd post something, um, you know, besides the, the comments and the likes and things on my own post, uh, but salespeople and other people would automatically get text messages and emails and phone calls and, and comments on their own posts saying that they had seen my post and were just thinking about them and offering positions and jobs and support. So it, it was, uh, it was, it was also a bit, I guess, tactical too, um, to try and make sure that everyone knew what was happening to help, help provide, uh, folks as best a landing as they could once things were wrapped up. No, I, I like I said, I thought it was really classy and professional and, uh, Really well done, you know, given the circumstances. So one thing I wanted to circle back to regarding the um, during the sale process and everything. Did you ever consider it? Um, you know, a lot of people have asked me that. No one's asked me that on a podcast. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> of course I did. Of course I did. Um, but the 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 way the deals were all being structured were obviously um, designed for best outcome for everybody. Um, and, you know, in order to really make that work, I mean, not to waste too much time with that extra explanation, but our business, the, the Nectarman International was supported by shared resources from the cigarette side. So human resources, finance, compliance, regulatory, all of that stuff were shared resources. So for a smooth transition and a successful transaction, um, the best outcome would be for a company with existing infrastructure to acquire it um, so that it, the transition would be seamless. Had I bought it uh, or even attempted to, to buy it, um, the, the lift of, of trying to prop up a business that was already so scaled up to have to prop that up with no infrastructure and start that piece from scratch is, is like rebuilding a foundation, but trying to leave the building intact. Um, and you know, I'm not an engineer, but it doesn't sound like a very good idea to me. So, um, you know, I, I, I certainly thought about it and, and dreamt of it and, and, uh, it just, it just wasn't in the cards. No, I understand it, but uh, you know, I I can also imagine that being in that position, that it had to have crossed your mind. So that's why I wanted to ask. Yeah, that and that was even 
I mean, if we're being completely honest, you know, there was a, there was a little bit of that, um, helpless and hopeless feeling to, to, to a degree, especially as the deal started getting more complex, you know, it would always cross my mind. Like, is there a pathway? Can we do this? Um, but you know, I also need to remove myself from it and just think really realistically about me and my family and, and what's best. And ultimately it, you know, that really would have been a, a, a tremendous lift. And, uh, sometimes things I think are just better left to be done as the fates allow. So before we get into some questions about just kind of general retail ideas and concepts and whatnot, um, I, I want to ask the, the inevitable obvious question of, so now that your time at Nat Sherman is concluded, what's next on the plate? Yeah, that's the question. <laughs> that is the question. Um, you know, I've, I've shared a number of times, you know, um, Altria's generosity was not just while they owned us, but, um, they also offered severance to any employee that didn't ultimately get placed in a position within Altria. And some that Sherman employees did explore employment within Altria. Uh, but for those of us who did not, we all received severance packages. And, um, you know, that really has given everyone a, a, a tremendously soft landing. Um, so at this point, you know, it's almost the holidays obviously I'm, I'm kind of getting my ducks in a row and talking with friends and colleagues and peers and just kind of understanding the, the landscape of possibilities. Um, but I'm not in a huge rush. And as you can imagine, um, no one is in a huge rush, uh, to add major headcount, I think going into the holidays and during a pandemic. Um, but the, the, the support from the industry has just been incredible. And, um, and, you know, I'm really enjoying just kind of brainstorming and spitballing ideas and catching up with my family and, uh, uh, really considering every option to make sure that the decision I make, you know, leaving Davidoff to join Nat Sherman was not an easy decision. Um, but it made sense in whatever the ultimate, you know, story of, Michael Herklotz's career was going to be. I could sort of see that next chapter making sense. So here we are at the conclusion of the second chapter. And, um, you know, now it's, I feel like I'm sort of sketching out the third chapter story. You know, I'm not quite putting pen to paper to start writing the story, but I'm starting to put together what that third chapter is going to look like um, so that I can write it, I guess, in January. Well, I know coming up in February, you're going to be co-hosting The Great Smoke. Yes, sir. You want to talk a little bit about that? Give a plug to that real quick? It's, I mean, for those of, for, for folks who don't know um, what The Great Smoke is, it's hosted by Abe DeBabna of Smoke Inn. He has several stores in Florida. And he has always been, he's been a very good friend of mine. I mean, I've known him since my Davidoff days. Uh, we've served on boards together and, and he's been a customer and a friend since I joined Nat Sherman. Um, and he's always just been really ahead of the curve when it comes to innovating the customer experience. Um, and so he started this event a long time ago and Nat Sherman always supported it. It was disappointing thinking about a February, 
um, that I wouldn't be able to support it. Uh, although I was thinking I was going to figure out how to go anyway. Um, and then he, he texted me and said, call me when you can. I have a crazy idea. And he said, how would you like to co-host it with me? And, uh, I said, I don't even know what that means. He said, me neither, but I, it looks like you're going to have a little time, hopefully. And if you're, if you're in a new role, then that'll be great. And if you're not in a role, that'll be great too. And, uh, to just do what you do. And, you know, it's funny as a, as a musician, my whole life, I've always approached the cigar business, um, the way I approached being a musician. So, uh, from performance and stage, uh, uh, showmanship and stage presence and, um, you know, taking it seriously from an education standpoint as a jazz musician, you know, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of study, um, to jazz and cigars are very much the same Uh, jazz and cigars are so similar. I mean, you know, even how, you know, if you look at jazz as a subset of the music industry, it's a, it's a, you know, rounding error to the music industry economics and premium cigars to the, to the tobacco sphere is largely the same. And yet it's probably the hardest. Uh, it takes the most passion. You make the most, the, the least amount of money. Um, you know, it's the most appreciated by the people who truly love it and yet completely misunderstood by people who haven't bothered to learn it. Um, and so just the idea to get together with a group of people, both virtually and in, in person to celebrate the industry again was just is an opportunity I, I couldn't pass up. Oh, that's awesome. One of the things that, and you were on earlier when we did the the cut and the ad for Riverman Cigar Company. So one of the things that Dan Ponder over at Riverman and I have talked quite a bit about is kind of the future of the cigar lounge in a post-COVID world. And, you know, we have our thoughts on it. You know, obviously, I don't want to see it disappear. Um, but we've kind of talked about... A lot of different things, you know, not just the cleanliness aspect. Like, for example, you know, as a, as a, I've had a couple of lounge owners talk to me about how through this time period, they've kind of come to realize some things that they didn't realize before, which was, you know, if a guy comes in and buys like a eight by 80 cigar and sits there for four hours, you know, he's, he's taking up that space in the, in the, in the lounge and, you know, he's buying one cigar and then leaving, whereas maybe other people are coming in and then that same four-hour time period, they're buying two or three cigars and, and enjoying those. And so the, the cost-to-benefit, you know, ratio for those for those customers is a little different. And so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of bringing up a lot of different aspects um, for the retailers in terms of how to operate and uh, how they want to operate in a post COVID world. And so I guess my, what are, what are your thoughts on that? What do you, what do you believe lounges are necessarily going to look like? And then maybe what are some takeaways that some, some lounge owners and and cigar shop owners need to consider after, after everything kind of is able to reopen in some fashion? Well, first of all, um, the fact that, that you are having the conversations, anticipating the fact that, um, the landscape has shifted and something that things need to be done differently moving forward is a huge advantage. I think there are lots of people who are not having those conversations and, you know, then we'll 
will uh, wave their arms in the air when things don't return to normalcy, saying, you know, uh, what am I supposed to do now? And, you know, just make excuses. So I applaud you guys for having those conversations because I think they're very important. The idea of lounge economics has always been um, a major issue. Um, If you look at the history of a tobacconist, it was never the business model to consume on premise. The business model was always to purchase on premise and consume where one consumes. So you smoke in a bar, you smoke in a restaurant, you smoke in all the places where people used to smoke. And as smoking bans became more and more prevalent, obviously the responsibility of the retailer shifted to also become a venue. Um, What I believe is paramount to success is to identify if you are um, a venue or not. Is that the business model? Because that will determine everything else um, economically, service-wise, afterwards. You can't be both. So you can have both, but you can't be both. I gave a presentation, two presentations on this subject. Um, and, you know, if you look at the Nat Sherman townhouse as an example, even though we had a dozen chairs on the main floor and a private lounge downstairs, if you asked me to define what we were as either a retail store or a lounge, uh, we were a retail store. And we permitted you to enjoy your purchase, but we were not a lounge. So um, that really um, allowed us to hold ourselves accountable to the decisions we made to make sure that we were setting ourselves up to be true to what we wanted to be. And we didn't maybe become what other people wanted us to be. And your point about the 8 by 80 $9, four-hour um economic model that is not a successful economic model if you only have six chairs um that's a problem Mm -hmm. the other thing you know historically i think it's fair to say most retailers would agree particularly retailers that don't have bars um that the 80 20 rule of 80 percent of your business coming from comes from 20 percent of your people um, largely holds true in every business. And most of those 20% of the people doing 80% of the volume are probably not the people buying eight by eighties and sitting down for four hours. So, but there's something about being there for, um, the other 80% and, and allowing them a place. Right, because we still need the other twenty percent. No, that's that's exactly it. I mean, it, not to interrupt, but Dan and I have talked about that too. That you know, maybe you might see some lounges or shops that have lounges shifting from a just open to the public model to like a paid membership model, and. I, I can understand that. I'm not necessarily a fan of that because I think it restricts both the diversity of both person and, uh, you know, kind of idea and, and 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 thought that goes into that room. You know, I mean, there's people that I've met. Well, the and- issue, though, is the issue is post-COVID, yes. which is how you crafted. So yeah. if we think about pre-COVID, much easier to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. 
post-COVID is very different because we don't know how it's going to ultimately play out. If you had asked me in March, or February, March, April, even as we contemplated our own store and its challenges, I was confident that we would be able to win back the business um, because I think people would want our service. And the longer things progressed, even though people, of course, would find other ways to acquire our products, they would be less inclined to find alternative ways to enjoy our products. Um, because let's face it, there are very few venues to enjoy premium cigars. Um, however, as, as the pandemic went on, particularly in the Northeast, um, and work from home was extended, ultimately people found ways to enjoy the products. And so now we had a dynamic shift in consumer behavior where, you know, I originally assumed that once people got back to work, then of course they'd fall back into the routine of coming by the store and enjoying the cigar. But the reality is people weren't coming back to work. And so the people who would have come back to enjoy the cigar aren't there. They're in their homes. And so they've now found alternatives um, of venues to enjoy their products, whether it's in their garage, on their back porch, in a new room that they built in their basement, there are alternatives. And so now you've changed consumer behavior twice. You've changed it in how they purchase and you've changed it in how they consume. And so that creates a significantly larger problem for a brick and mortar retail tobacconist slash lounge to try and win both pieces of those business of that business back when consumers have already replaced that behavior. Um, and so I think that comes down to really um, accentuating and enhancing all of the areas that cannot be replicated anywhere else but face-to-face. And so that's when you get into cleanliness, service, um, comfort, all of those pieces you know, I guarantee the store has better ventilation than a guy's garage or basement. The store probably has nicer furniture than the guy's garage or basement. Um, the guy in the basement has to clean his own ashtray. The guy in his garage um, has to tidy up after himself and take out his garbage. In a retail tobacconist or, or a lounge, we do that for you. But then that also comes at a cost. And so what is the economic, you know, we, we embrace the idea that our favorite bourbon costs twice as much when we sit somewhere and drink it than when we drink it at home. We accept that. And we certainly can't bring our own bourbon to our favorite bar or we wouldn't have our favorite bar anymore. Mm -hmm. So um, I also think there's going to have to be some shifts in, um, in the business model that perhaps single cigars purchased to consume uh, may carry a slight premium, um, whereas cigars that are bought in larger bulk to take home or to ship home would then offer more value. Um, I, our model in, in Nat Sherman was the membership was free, but it was paid in advance. So we were $3,000 a year but 100% credit. You paid us $3,000, we applied it to your account, and it basically provided a minimum upfront commitment to an annual spend 
that then gave you a locker and gave you access to the lounge. The locker was not yours. It was ours. So you could only keep in the, in the locker, what you purchased in our store. Um, you know, those types of, of, um, offerings really allow you to put service first, uh, and accommodation and hospitality, um, you know, renting a locker, um, gives entitlement to the leaseholder being offered a locker to keep their purchases maintains possession of that experience to the retailer. And in, in my opinion, um, in everything we did at Nat Sherman, it was always to maintain possession of the experience. And that also means the, the retailer should not be seated with their customers. I mean, that's, immediately lowering the bar. You don't have the restaurant owner seated at the table next to you, or even worse at your table, having dinner with you. That's not the experience. The restaurant owner, even if you go in every day, the restaurant owner walks by, checks in on you, but doesn't interrupt uh, your experience. And there has to be a very clean line drawn between um, uh, formality and familiarity. And that was also a major part of our um, process and cycle of service at Nat Sherman. We always maintained formality, even with our most familiar customers, um, so that it never was reduced to familiarity, which ultimately means that formality becomes sacrificed. No, that's a really interesting point because I'm sure all of us have been into a lounge or a, a shop. I, I I keep calling it a lounge. I really mean a shop that has a, a room that they that has may seating. Refer- yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but you get my point. I'm sure we've all been to a shop where uh, when we walk in, it's pretty obvious that it's it's that guy's clubhouse that he that he started up and and he's he's selling cigars and doing all right, you know, for for himself. Um, but but the the reason that he that he wanted to start it up is to uh, sit around with his buddies and and have cigars. So that's not a long term business model, um, but pre COVID it worked. Mm-hmm. My gut says um, that post COVID it won't. So now let me ask you another question here. So in a post COVID world, if somebody were to come to you and say, "Hey, I'm thinking about opening up a cigar shop." what would your thought and advice be to that person? They better have a plan. I mean, you cannot just build out a space with a humidor and ventilation and a cash register and think you are going to win. Uh, I mean, if you just, I've, I've, I've put it this way a handful of times. There is nothing that I can't acquire seated on the toilet. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing. I can buy a home. I can buy a car. I can buy cigars. I can buy lighters. I can buy my groceries. There's nothing that I can't get seated on the toilet. What I can't get seated on the toilet is camaraderie, expertise, um, you know, all those added value face-to-face things, nor would I want them on the toilet, obviously. Um, So, this, you know, is normally where, is, this is normally where I would jump in, but I'm going to let you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, anyway, listen, the premium cigar industry and the larger 
retail tobacco industry. There is no greater industry, but you need more than just passion at this point to have a successful business. You really need a plan. And that plan must include um, how are you going to go to business, to go to market different than everyone else. And I mean, let's face it, post COVID, if you don't have a method to, um, to transact business non-face-to-face, you should not start your business because we know the only way to survive today is to cater to the person sitting on their toilet and then exceed their expectations when you see them face-to-face. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's a valid point. I mean, I know Dave Garofalo has talked in the Cigar Authority about how, you know, his online sales are what help, you know, get him through this whole situation. Dave, uh, Abe, Jeff Corona, um, you know, you can you can see stores scramble um, who maybe did not have that infrastructure in place prior to lockdowns and COVID scramble to put it in place. Up down in Chicago, very good friends of mine, um, you know, they got very aggressive with uh, Zoom events. I mean, really, really aggressive with Zoom events. Um, that helped maintain a lot of energy and enthusiasm and support. And then they were obviously, you know, mail ordering um, cigars that people would call up or email or, or what have you. So I just, you know, it's, it takes the same level of passion today as it did a year ago, but it takes a lot more um, planning and thought to make sure that you're covering your bases because we, we can't pretend to be surprised um, if we get locked down again and not have a plan B. Well, and that's, and that's exactly kind of what we're dealing with in the winter time here is there was a little bit of a lull in the summer where it seemed like things were kind of getting a little better, but now things are almost back to normal. Yeah. In some cases. And then we got locked down again. Well, but, but I think locking down for COVID-19 was a very difficult thing to do because we hadn't done it in a hundred years. Um, my fear is that now that we've done it, we may do it before another hundred years uh-huh. passes a bad flu season. Uh, you know, who knows where, where, since we've done it once, it, it could happen again. So God, I hope not. Um, but I, we, it just needs to be, pre- we need to be prepared for that to happen. Um, And again, at the end of the day, all consumers have shifted their behavior in the last nine months in a very profound way um, to get the things they need the easiest, cheapest way possible. And, And if retailers and lounge owners are not having the conversations that you're having right now uh, with Riverman about thinking differently, what the new normal is going to be, then I fear for those people. And it, it, I'm, I'm not going to lie. that To me, that's a very scary outlook, but a very realistic outlook of what could potentially be coming. We're, we're literally you know, in a brave new world. It's, it's no different than, than people wanting to launch a cigar post-FDA. Of course it's possible, but it's infinitely more difficult. And there's a whole lot of unknowns. So granted, we're, we're in a period right now of, of maybe relief. It's tough to tell. Um, 
but it's not the the threat has not gone away. So anyone introducing a cigar today should be introducing their product, assuming the absolute worst and being prepared on how they'll handle it. Because should things get um, more complex in a regulatory uh, landscape, no one should be surprised. Disappointed? Totally. Fight back? Absolutely. But surprised? How can we be surprised? We we came so close so many times to facing the reality. So I, I, I recognize maybe I sound a little pessimistic. That's not what I mean. Pragmatic would probably I'm, be. The, I'm hoping yeah. it never locks down. What I'm hoping is it never locks down. I'm hoping consumers return to business as usual. I hope people run in the door vaccinated and put their asses back in the seats and smoke eight by eighties and, you know, breathe their hot breath all over each other. I hope it <laughs> happens. Um, uh. But it's hard to imagine it's going to happen exactly the same way. And so we just need to be prepared that it won't. But you also brought up a, a really good point about cleanliness and all the basic, the basic things that people took for granted um, because they leveraged the fact that they were the only place to smoke. Mm-hmm. And so you had dirty glass, disgusting dirty glass, dirty bathrooms, ashtrays overflowing. Uh, you know, that, first of all, pre-COVID, that was unacceptable, but people got away with it. Post-COVID, there is no excuse. You need Windex in your store. You need a vacuum cleaner in your store. You, I mean, come on. You need paper towels. You need to empty the ashtrays. I mean, that's just common sense. Like, I, I think of the, the area where one sits to enjoy a cigar should be exactly the same as the table you sit down at to eat dinner at a restaurant. You don't sit down and move someone else's plates and then put your plate down. It's clean and set and ready for you. So I I walked into a store. This is one of my favorite stories. I walked into a store um, for a 9 a.m. meeting with the owner. And uh, there was one customer smoking. And on the center of, of two tables were those huge stinky ashtrays. Not the little stinky ashtrays. The huge huge like sunday gravy bowl yeah uh ashtrays filled with butts like to the top oh my gosh so that's got to be at least a couple days worth of smoking oh i walked in i was like oh my god you had a busy morning what time did you open up today 4 a.m i mean how did you get this many cigars smoked you know already and he said no no that's you know that's uh that's where we put them i'm like that's where you put them that's where people sit. That's disgusting. I mean, it stinks, number one. And it's literally, it's a bowl of germs. Yeah. I mean, it's, that couldn't be grosser. And he's like, well, you know, we like to see how long it takes to fill them up. <laughs> and I was like, look, you, you, you can run your business how you want. But my interpretation of that is this is not where I want to be. But, you know, that's, that was, that's what they did. Wow. You know, we cleaned the ashtray. Every time a customer ashed, we would clean the ashtray. We'd walk over, empty it into a pail, and put it back. And, you know, those are the types of things that allow you to demonstrate service. So, even of, of course, the ashtray doesn't need to be cleaned with one inch of ash in it. But the, mo- the, re- the fact that I'm willing to do it for you 
demonstrates a profound level of appreciation and respect for you buying your cigar here. And it offers an opportunity for me to check in without being pushy. So now I get to say, hey, how are you enjoying it? Without me just interrupting you. Um, it gives an opportunity for me to say thank you again or for them to say thank you to me. You know, all of those opportunities to win and demonstrate service and demonstrate appreciation, um, those are huge opportunities that you can't do um, through now some of the more modified channels like e-com or, or any of that stuff. No, I know I've been smoking a lot uh, in my garage and on my deck and everything. And and you're right. You know, I, I have my own, you know, ashtray that I've got to take out. And I, you know, I I have a one-car garage and my wife parks in it. So I have to back the car out. I set up all my stuff and everything. I sit in there for a few hours, have my cigars and everything. Fire but up then, the heater. Yeah, fire yep. up the heater. Yeah, I mean, these days, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with ele- uh, weather elements and everything. And and I have to keep the garage door at least halfway open so that the ventilation gets out. Well, now I'm you know my heater's fighting that cold, and it's it's been chilly a few nights, and so I'm doing know. the same thing, my man. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, yeah, it's, I've it's never needed a place at home to smoke. I've smoked in offices for twenty years. <laughs> now yeah. all of a sudden, I got nowhere to go. Oh, I'll tell you what. I was just talking with uh, somebody the other week, and we were talking about the um, the ice fishing. You know, kind of oh, yeah. tents or whatever that you get that are insulated and everything. I'm I'm seriously thinking about running by one of the sports stores to price one of those out for my deck because it it sounds better than my garage at this point. But I, I know a lot of guys yeah. that have bought those um, those prefab sheds. Yeah, and they've turned those into man caves. I mean, it's and that's something Dan and I were talking about earlier this year too. Is is you know we're gonna have to start prepping for the winter. Especially if, you know, stores and lounges are on limited capacity, which they now they are, are again, yep. you know, how are we going to handle think, the wintertime? But yeah, I think that is the perfect members concept is Dan get a contract on those things, sell them to his customers <laughs> and have little mini ri- all Riverman sheds. I mean, that's like an unbelievable name. Hey, hey Love there it. you go. I like that. There you go, Dan. And if you buy the river, you buy the Riverman shed. Maybe you even lease it. Who cares? Put it in your backyard. You get X discount. You get free delivery. Uh, see, there you go, Dan. I know Dan's listening to this because he's a big fan of yours, and he uh, he was excited to hear you were going to be coming on with us. So, Riverman sheds. Uh, I like it. So, well, Listen, my- you, you tell him, Dan. You have forty eight hours, or otherwise, I'm buying the trademark. <laughs> <laughs> Cigar pulpit shed. There you yeah. go. <laughs> Well, Michael, we want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I we've gone a little over what I thought we were going to do, and and but so I really appreciate you taking time. And and uh, I is there anything that you want to tell our listeners anywhere they can follow you? You know that sort of thing for updates. Sure. Uh, um, so all my social media is the same, Michael Harklotz. Um, so Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Um, love to have you follow me and stay in touch with what I'm doing. Um, and I certainly, I appreciate your patience as we tried to find a time to schedule this. Cause oh, I know no. it was a lot of back and forth. Um, but you know, it's great to be able to catch up and, and chat with you and hopefully we'll be able to do it again. Um, and you know, I just, I wish everyone the healthiest of holidays and Merry Christmas, uh, for those who celebrate and, um, you know, just stay healthy. I think we're the, the worst of times are behind us, even though I 
think there is still some worse times ahead of us. Um, but you know, let's just all be smart and do what it takes now so we can wrap this thing up and get back to being in lounges so I can get myself to Riverman and we can, we can smoke a cigar together because there's nothing, there's nothing I would rather be doing right now than having this conversation face to face over a cigar instead of on a podcast. Well, I am a hundred percent confident that both Dan and I would be more than happy to, to treat you well out here in St. Louis and show you the sites and, and, uh, have a, have a good time. So we'd, we'd love to well, have you let's, join us. Let's plan it. All right. Let's plan love it. it. I think it'd be great. So, well, Michael, thank you so much for your time. We're going to continue smoking this, uh, this timeless here and we're going to, we're going to move on with the rest of our show. So thank you so much for everything. Go to it. Thanks. Thank brother. you all. Thank you. Thanks guys. Well, I really want to thank Michael for taking time out of his day to come on and talk with us. He was pretty cool. He was neat. Um, I will say uh, he kind of alluded to it. We've been playing messages back and forth for a little while, so it was really nice to be able to to finally circle up. I I reached out to him, but um, he was still dealing with... Uh, well, he's had a lot going on. Well, and that was the problem. Is he was still closing down the, the townhouse and everything else was going on, and so we kind of opted to push it back until after all that was done to uh, clear out his schedule a little bit. I'll so. tell you this. Oh, boy is very gracious about everything that's going on. Definitely. Well, yep. I mean, you know, I guess it's one of those things. You can either be bitter about it or you can just, you know, realize it is what it is and it's, move on it's with It's business life. and, yeah. So you move on to the next chapter, like you said, precisely it. So, well, speaking of moving on to the next chapter, before we do, why don't we uh, touch base on this timeless uh, Supreme 749? Um, we didn't really talk too much about the cigar during the interview. What are you getting on the cigar? It's you know it's a good cigar. It's a little meaty for my taste, but I've really enjoyed it. And you know, one of the things that I don't I don't know if we've really talked about this on the show, but when I was in Florida earlier this summer, um, I picked up some Nat Sherman's, mm-hmm. and I was all excited to get them. It's not a cigar I find usually in the St. Louis area, and I brought them back, and I'm like, Nick, you're not going to believe what I found, and he said, oh, about that, and you know, filled me in on everything mm-hmm. going on that I'd been kind of oblivious to, and you know, they're good cigars. Yeah. No, this is good. This, I've gotten, you know, some like hints of like cocoa and spice and and everything but it's a real creamy cigar though it's real smooth the draw has been really good on it my burn line has been really good on it um being a 49 ring gauge i did have to kind of slow down my smoking a little bit um because i i didn't want to get like a little run or anything like that but no it's 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 been a really good cigar i have not done a retro hail though i was doing them on and off during the interview and good you know, because I, I stood down. You you actually have a, a relationship that you've built with the you know Michael over the years. And <coughs> no, I just uh, there's a little spot. I'm in the final third. Yeah, final third cigar dot com. <laughs> and uh, I I did. Uh, there is a little bit of spice to the retro hill in the in the end there. Yep. But no, Jeff, I just did show prep. Ah, show prep. <laughs> That's what that is. That's show prep. Well, it's funny. the The main <laughs> question that I was going to bring up was Casada. Yeah. And you beat me to it. Uh, and I was like, well, there went my show prep. <laughs> I was going to talk to him about the uh, music and about that, and you covered both things. So I mean, we were on it. Yeah, so. those were the two things that I could talk about. <laughs> oh, well. And, okay. you know, and speak somewhat intelligently, too. So. Okay. Yep. Well, so, when's that ever stopped before? <laughs> well, you know, I try not to show my ass with the guests. I get it. I as get much it. as I can. I get it. Well, why don't we go ahead and get into some Ask the Boys? Let's do it. 
All right, everybody. I say this every time. I mean it. We need your questions. We so do. call the Ask the Boys hotline. It's the whole point. Area code 863-874-0000. Not only can you call into the hotline and ask us your questions about whatever you want, but we want you to be calling into the hotline and doing a couple other things. Um, tell us what cigar you would want if you knew that was the last cigar you're ever going to have in your life. Yes. That was that's the question that's standing on the table for all of you listeners. We want to hear what is if you knew that that cigar was going to be the last one you were going to have. What do you want it to be? Plus, we need your Christmas carols. Exactly, we have the Christmas carol deal going with my monthly cigars. You know, call in and sing us your parody Christmas carol. All you have to do is mention my monthly cigars and the cigar pulpit in there, and you'll be eligible. And we're going to have prizes that we're going to give away to uh, the best, uh, the best uh, parody carol there. So exactly, make sure you get that in. So, with that being said, why don't we go ahead and get into the first question? Howdy, boys. It's Thick Smoke Ryan. How you doing? First, I'd like to answer your question of what would be the last cigar I would ever Whoa. smoke for the rest Timely. of my life, there we go. however you put it. For me, it would be the very cigar that I started with, the Padron 1964 Natural. Size doesn't matter. And my question to you, gentlemen, comes from a conversation that started when my buddies at the lounge and I were watching The Godfather Part Two. In your opinion, what would Cuba be like today if Fidel Castro never took over? I look forward to hearing your answers on the next episode. Okay, have a great day. Bye-bye. First of all, that's a really good last cigar. And um, there is a gentleman that Jeff and I both know, Hal. Um, He used to be a regular at... uh, the hill and um he has since passed away but i remember having conversations with hal where he told me that if he was basically told he could only smoke one cigar for the rest of his life it would have been a padrone yep. so um you know i that's a that's a really solid choice and as for size doesn't matter Man, Thick Smoke Ryan, you're not thinking. You need to have, like, one of the big ones to stretch that thing out, you know? It's like, don't go with, like, a little petite Corona or something like that. Go with go with a, go with a larger cigar so that you make sure you prolong the experience. Yeah, but you don't want to keel over in the middle of it and then waste half. But if you... Assuming you're not going to keel over in the middle of it, assuming that under this pretense you have the amount of time needed to finish that cigar... You're saying drag it out. Drag it out as long as you can, (laughs) you know? But anyway, now as for the question at hand about what would Cuba be like if Fidel had not taken over, um, I believe it would be a significantly different, significantly better place for everyone down there. I could make an argument that it very likely would have become a state. Um, You could make that argument. Yeah, I will say, you know... And I'm not t- saying that, you know, the mafia was a necessarily a good thing, but it, it sounds like that's where you're headed. But the mafia had a lot of really, you know, influence in Cuba with the uh, casinos. I mean, Cuba was like the happening place to go yep. for America's rich and famous. Yep. 
you know, they would go down there and party, hit the casinos and everything else. I mean, I really think that Cuba would have turned into um, a a destination for the United States, you know, rich and famous all the way through. I think you would have really big, nice, expensive resorts. I mean, you could make an argument that it could be like the Las Vegas of, of the Caribbean. Of the Caribbean. Yep. I mean, it, it could have truly been something really, but really special. Think about this. Think about how much different areas of the United States would be had that never happened. Tampa, Miami. Very true. You, you would see a totally different landscape in areas like that. You would. Um, that, that basically took in a lot of the expats, I guess you would say, from Cuba after the revolution. And, you know, would would you see an Ybor City existing the way it is today? Well, yeah. I mean, Ybor City obviously was around prior to Castro taking over, but at the same time. But would time, it have the, the Colombia, or I'm sorry, the Cuban influence that it has there now? Like Colombia, yeah, the restaurant, and, you know, all of the little cigar shops that we went to. You know, King Corona. Would all of those influences be there had those people not had to leave, you know, the island of Cuba? I, you know, it's a valid point. I don't know. I mean, and it's one of those things. I will say Cuban cigars um, wouldn't have the mystique that they have around them. It's forbidden fruit. Exactly. It would be just another. but But then that leads to the question of. You know, what would the cigar industry look like had Cuba not shut down yeah. like that? You know, would you have, you know, all this growth and and um, development in the Dominican, Nicaragua, Honduras and all this if um, these Cuban families wouldn't have had to leave, yep. you know, and and everything? I don't know. It's an interesting it's an interesting, you know, road to go down. Well, you could but, you could make the argument that it's had a lot of positives for those countries you just mentioned, it for has. Miami, for Tampa, you know, for those areas of the of of our country, but you know what? Been at the what would the landscape the, be like? Yeah. yeah, so I don't know. It's a different. It's a different world. That's for sure. It's no. a significantly different world. So well, and if the X Men had you know jumped in and did a little more during the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, oh for God, with sakes. the blockade. Oh, for God's sakes, look at you with the X-Men first class reference there. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that. It wasn't that. even me. It wasn't I thought you'd appreciate me. that. So, well, anyway, so yeah, so why don't we, uh, <laughs> God, why don't we go ahead and go on to the next question here. On to the next. Hey, fellas, this is Trent. This is my cigar account. Trent. Um, I was just wondering if y'all are still planning on trying to do any more Zoom Hearst. I know whenever we had the one, uh, oh yeah, kind of for the introduction of the the Bishop and the Gator cigars. Y'all mentioned that that would hopefully be a more regular thing. So I was just wondering if that's still in the plans or what. Uh, stay safe and stay smoky. I definitely like to. I will say, thanks. Uh, uh, November kind of got away from us. What with uh, the uh, trip down to Tampa and then Thanksgiving and everything else, yeah. Um, so that November kind of got away from us, and I suspect more than likely December is probably going to get away from us with the holidays and and everything else. I could see uh, trying to set up another one, maybe after Christmas, sometime. maybe a New maybe, Year's. You herf. know, maybe like yeah, maybe we could try and set up like a New Year's herf or something like that. Um, it's just hours in the day. Yeah, it's what it boils down to. I mean, yep. you know, I don't know. Um, maybe like a New Year's Eve. Ooh, we could do that. We could do like, well, 
you know, I could do <laughs> you that. You could do that. I was going to say, I, lo- I took one look I at Jeff when I in. saw that, and I was just like, well, okay, I guess I, might I call could in do that. for a while. But, um, I'm going to get my freak on. Yeah, Lord. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. I Yeah. I mean, look, they're not going to not happen. It's just I don't know how regularly. Yeah. Um, they're going to happen. I Realistically, would I like to get into a regular schedule with them? I would. Well, let's um, be honest. Where am I going to smoke but it just, when it's cold to do herf? Well, you know Dan at Riverman has invited us to I'm use I'm going to have to go over there, yeah. To do that. You yep. know, we could set up everything and just be based from there. That's that's what we're, we're going to have to do because so. God knows I can't sit out on this deck. Yeah, no. <laughs> when it, it's 20 degrees out. Oh, hell, dude. It's 40 degrees out and my fingertips are numb right now. I can't believe you've survived this day. long, yeah. I've been huddled. And the up. sun's blaring yeah, down. I was say, thankfully, and... the sun is out. If the sun was not out, I don't know if we would have been able to do this. But anyway, so yeah, so no. I guess the answer to that question is yes. Uh, stay tuned. There will be something at some point. I just can't exactly tell you when. But I do really like the idea of some sort of a New Year's um, thing. I don't necessarily know about New Year's Eve since everybody's super busy. You know that specific evening, but. Um, I don't know. Maybe sometime in that window between post Christmas and pre New Year's, that yeah. that might be a good time frame to try and you know set something up. And you know, for those people that can make it, they can make it. And for those that can't, well, let's Screw catch you. us next <laughs> time. Anyway, anyway, so yeah, that's it for Ask the Boys this week. Um, we just need your questions, so make sure you get us those and call the uh, and you do so by calling the Ask the Boys hotline at area code eight six three. Eight seven four zero 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 zero. Yeah, I will tell you, I hate we're not going to be able to get these cigars anymore. This is a good stick. I'd say find them while you can. Yeah, you know, it's it's. Uh, oh, be... we lucked into them. What down in Florida? Yeah, it's going to be one of those things. You're just going to have to. The stock you, is dwindling. When you see them. Don't don't be afraid to buy them because it's going to be, it's going to be. They're not um, going to be there next year. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be. I want to point something out too, because I got a little grief um, from some family over the trip to Florida, and everybody was worried and wanted me to quarantine. We're past our quarantine now. We are, and we survived just fine. We did. Nobody died. Yeah. Nobody got sick. But did you die? Nobody got sick. I didn't die. So there you go. I would make the argument that the air is cleaner on that airplane we were on than sitting out here on this deck. Uh, I don't know about that, but I mean, they definitely recirculate it much more frequently. Yeah, and it's purified and you yeah. know whatnot. So. so, but yeah, we had no trouble. And I'll tell you, and I know everybody's saying, "Don't travel, don't travel, don't travel." It was the greatest travel experience I think I've ever had. Oh, I have not had an airport experience like that. Um. For easily the last 20 years. Nick and I, on the flight home, had three seats to ourselves each. Yeah, an entire row. <laughs> it <laughs> an was, entire row. They, they announced when we got on the plane, they said, this plane seats 175, and there are currently 80 yep. slated to be on this plane, so spread out. and We did. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, it was glorious. And it was pretty much the same way on the way out. And he was so tired of me. He told me. Don't sit in the same set of seats with me. And then I didn't. And then he's looking over, like, wanting to talk the whole time, all sad-eyed. Well, like, you know. hey, he missed his gator. 
<laughs> I didn't think you'd actually take me serious, but... You know. Oh, no, it was great. It, it was great. I had three tray tables. Yeah, you were you were snacks. you had made yourself quite a little nest there. <laughs> really did. I, I did watched not, that. Did you, not want to leave did. at the you end had, of the flight. Well, I did. I hate flying, but you know, at least it was tolerable this time around. Watching you cringe but, on takeoff and landing was oh, just something. To, I hate something to behold. I hate flying so much. I love it. It's uncomfortable. It's it's just it's everything about it. I just cannot see. I would much rather drive than fly. It's just the driving takes infinitely longer. On the flight down, I look over at one point, and he's he's got the window seat, and we're right over the wing. And I look down, and I says, "That wing look loose to you?" Yeah, <laughs> just that the whole flight wasn't appreciated. So, <laughs> did you feel that? Yeah, I yeah. know, right? It's that it's that kind of bullshit. Just Which I thought was really funny bullshit. until the people in the row in front of us started turning around and looking at me, and I'm like, I'm going to get kicked yeah, off this plane. Yeah, I was going to say this is when yeah. Jeff encounters the federal agents. Yes, I'm on I'm on yeah. a watch list. Now. Yeah, you're not exactly saying the b word, but you know <laughs> no. you're coming dangerously close. Yeah. So anyway, well, it's time for our uh, weekly uh, review from our friend Larry the Mute. Is he here? Yeah, he's, he's, well, there he is, walking around the side of the house right there. I didn't know he was coming today. Yeah. Well, why not? It's a Tuesday episode. It was a little tense last time. I mean, it's been tense for a little while, but he continually shows up. and Larry, you know, to your keeps, credit, brother, uh, I'm glad you showed up. Keeps keeps stepping up, so. Here, grab a All seat, right. buddy. He's got, his, he's got his chair. All right, Larry, so what are we, uh, what are we reviewing today? The Swisher Sweets Boozy Mango. Cigarello. Never had that. It's the boozy mango. What the hell is, is that even a thing? It is indeed a thing. I don't know what makes it boozy. Um, maybe it's got some sort of an alcohol flavor along with the mango, but I don't you know. know. But it's the Swisher Sweets boozy mango cigarello. So, Larry, why don't you tell us uh, what makes it boozy? Oh, I feel enlightened. You're such a dick. <laughs> you're such a total dick. You were so enthralled with his review there that you're sitting there picking at something at your knee. <laughs> it's like... Animal scab. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, Larry... La wait, wait. Larry, Larry. Oh, and Larry tips the chair and storms away. Well, Dude, those chairs are expensive. You did it again. You did it again. Here, let me I mean... He tries. He puts in the man hours. He smokes the damn boozy mango cigars. I mean... But to what end? To come here and tell us all about them. Is he? Yeah. Is he telling us all about yeah, it? I mean, he is. You're just not listening. <laughs> God bless. All what right. have I done with my life? These are bad life choices, folks. <sighs> here, meet Nick Miller. Hi, Nick. I'm Jeff. Yeah, I know, right? That's my bad life choice. Oh Lord. Well, how about we? Uh, how about we give away some cigars? Oh, I think that's uh, appropriate. All right, so it's time now for the weekly giveaway, where we give away a nice prize pack of Martinez cigars. And guys, when you guys want these? They're good. You really do. So, guys, you uh, you sign up for the weekly giveaway. By signing up for our email newsletter. So go over to CigarPulpit.com. Big plans for the newsletter. And just 
you know, there's a little pop-up window that comes up when you go there. And all you got to do is just fill out the uh, the fields there, and we will be glad to add you to the list. And once you're on the list, I mean, we don't barrage you with messages. Like I said, like Jeff did just say, we have some plans for that. However, even then, it's not going to be, like, you know, constant. It's not like we're sending multiple a week or anything like that, because that requires time in my day, and I just don't have that. So, um but but get on the list, and once you're on the list, then you can win some cigars. So this week's winner, all you have to do is reach out to me by um, Monday of next week. Just send me an email at nickcigarpulpit.com telling me that I'm the winner. <laughs> and uh, send me your mailing address, and we will make sure that we get those cigars sent to you right away. Nick's giving me the side eye. I'm petting my dog. He's holding his dog like... Up against his chest, rubbing the belly, and this poor little long-haired chihuahua just looks so irritated. She was the one begging me for attention during the whole podcast. She looks really irritated. Aw, little girl. So... Lucy girl. All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and give away some cigars? So this week's winner, like I said, reach out to me by Monday, and I am going to butcher this last name. Um, We have Vic... Holgen? Holgen? What? Um, Yeah, you try that. Holgen? 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 Vic Holgen? H-O-L-G-U-I-N. Vic, you've just won. So all you got to do is just send us an email and, uh, you know, let me know... uh, let me know your mailing address, and we'll get those sent to you right away. Sorry exactly. about butchering your last name. I swear, we we really need, like, pronunciations. We do. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, they're just filling out, like, a little automatic thing, so it's kind of... kind of hard hard to add that. Yeah, I don't I know if I can add a field for how do I... What's the phonetic you know, <laughs> exactly. spelling of your last name so that I can read it out? But, anyway, so sorry about that, Vic. We just butchered your last name, but... Um, but you want cigars, so eh, it kind of evens out. There you go. So to sign up for the newsletter or anything else, how do folks follow us? You go over to Instagram. We are on Instagram at The Cigar Pulpit, as well as at Naked Gator, N-E-K-K-I-D Gator. My page. We're also on <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, obviously, CigarPulpit.com is where you can sign up for the newsletter. And then we need your questions for the Ask the Boys segment. So call the Ask the Boys hotline, area code 863-874-0000. I will say Larry's cigar smoke is wafting in the air, and it smelled really nice. I mean, it's boozy mango. I know, right? There you go. Yeah. But anyway. Sorry you left in a huff. Yeah, well, that seems to be the way it goes around here. Kind of a pattern we've developed. It does. Yeah. Yeah, so... And Nick, we'd be remiss if we didn't say, coming up Friday, we have another selection from the My Monthly Cigars box. We do. What Uh, is My Monthly Cigars? My Monthly Cigars is a premium cigar subscription service where you can get a box of cigars sent to your door every month, come in a variety of sizes. We get the Robusto box, which is four cigars for $30. Nick also offers the Presidente, which is eight cigars for $50. That's right. It's two of everything that's in the Robusto box, so it's good for sharing. And, uh... We would be remiss if we didn't point out that the Robusto and El Presidente are both covered by Nick's MSRP guarantee, which states that the value of the cigars within the box is guaranteed to meet or exceed the price of the box. 
This month's box is right at just 40, shy of 45, 45 bucks. Yeah, it's like 44.50. So, um, you know, you're saving 14.50 on the Robusto or you're saving uh what? 39 on the yeah. uh saving like 40 bucks on the on the uh Presidente. It's a deal. You know, I mean, you're getting $90 worth of cigars for 50 bucks. That's not bad at all. Can't beat that. Yep. So use offer code PULPIT. P-U-L-P-I-T. And that gets you free shipping on the first box. It also gets you 20% off any of the items in Nick's online store because he sells not only the cigars that have been in the box, but also other cigars as well as accessories at MyMonthlyCigars.com. MyMonthlyCigars.com. He's also got that really rocking oh, holiday pack. Now the holiday, the holiday pulpit. The holiday pack, you want to use offer code Holiday Pulpit because um, the regular pulpit one won't work on that. But use a holiday pulpit and his holiday pack. It's uh, fifty nine ninety nine. You get four premium cigars. You get a desktop slash travel humidor. You get a butane lighter and the butane. Um, you get a cutter and you get a twenty five dollar my monthly cigars gift card. So you know for sixty bucks, you're really getting like a ton of stuff. And you're getting that gift card, so it kind of sort of evens out to being only around 35 bucks, depending upon, you yeah. know, if you're buying it for yourself, if you're buying it for someone else. If you're buying it for someone else, it's a fantastic gift. It's a good starter gift for somebody, but on the flip side, I don't know any cigar smoker that wouldn't be happy to get another travel humidor and lighter and cutter and everything. So, they I mean, all come in handy. It, it Exactly. So it's a great gift. So head on over to MyMonthlyCigars.com. There you go. So Lucy's back on my lap again. Yeah. She just can't get enough love. Nah, she looks pretty pitiful. <laughs> she looks pretty upset. So are, are you? Oh, poor girl. Oh, my God. Now she really does. <laughs> She's, like, looking down, but, like, looking up. So you're seeing, like, the whites of the eyes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, this is pathetic. She's like, so. please help me. Anyway, well, while Jeff plays with his dog, I guess we'll uh, wrap it up and wrap this up. Lucy, you got so. anything you want to add for the good of the group? The one time she's That's quiet. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> barking her head off earlier. Uh-huh. Oh, little girl. Anyway. Well, once again, we really want to thank Michael Herklotz for coming on. Um, I Final thoughts on the Timeless Supreme there, Jeff? Good stick. I really like it. I, I Like I said, it's creamy. It's, as in, it's, it's, it's smooth. It's creamy. It's, um, I'd say it's a strong medium. Oh, easily. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a strong medium. It was at the top of my scale. Yeah, it's it's got some spice to it and everything else, but it's it's good. It's a it's a good cigar. So I'm upset that it'll be difficult to locate. But yeah, it's a shame. Anyway, so well, it was well, Jeff. So much fun today, and that was a great interview, Nick. So thank you for coming down. No, no problem. This has been another sermon from the cigar pulpit. I'm Nick. I'm Gator with Lucy. Stay safe. Stay smoky, everyone. You're on your period? <laughs>